This is Matthew Cratter from Bitcoin University, and today I wanted to do a Toxic Bitcoin Friday. This is normally done on Saturdays, but this Saturday, tomorrow, I'm actually going to be doing the first private live class over at Bitcoin University Premium. So if you're bored this weekend, be sure to check that out. Meanwhile, before I start, I also wanted to point out that mem the mempool is not as crowded as it has been, and transaction fees, Bitcoin transaction fees, have been lower recently. So it's a good time to consolidate UTXOs and also to fund lightning channels. If you don't know what that means, I'll link to these videos in the description notes below this Bitcoin UTXO management playlist, as well as these two videos about how to open lightning channels using the Phoenix wallet. So that's another thing you can play around with this weekend. There's signs everywhere that Bitcoin is winning, and I think we're now definitely at the then they fight you stage. This is an allusion to Mahatma Gandhi's phrase, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. I think we're at the fighting stage, definitely, as we've seen with the Biden administration issuing an emergency, quote unquote, emergency data collection initiative to identify the electricity usage of the Bitcoin mining industry in America. Miners who do not comply are threatened with fines up to $10,000 to $11,000 for each day they do not respond. Now, it's important to notice that this is information that the government already has through a lot of the publicly filing, uh, publicly traded uh, Bitcoin mining companies, but they want more granularity Unfortunately, I like what Pierre Rochard pointed out here. Bitcoin mining growth is not an, an emergency, a quote unquote emergency. The $3 trillion deficit, the $34 trillion in national debt, and the insolvent fiat banking system, on the other hand. So we can see why they're at the we fight you stage. Marty Bent also had a great tweet here, currently diving into this edict from the EIA against Bitcoin mining operations in the U.S. It's extremely Orwellian. Seems like they're trying to create a hyper detailed registry of miners in the U.S. down to particular ASICs. So then he goes on to point out that something similar happened in Venezuela before those ASICs were actually confiscated and used by the government to mine Bitcoin in Venezuela. So what happens if the U.S. government seizes all the Bitcoin mining rigs found within U.S. borders? I still think this is many years off. We do have very strong private property laws in the U.S. in general. We can't just have the state coming in and completely nationalizing an industry. At least we haven't seen that happen in a very uh, short period of time. So it's still possible. But what would happen if they seized all these ASICs? Then they would have three choices. They could mine Bitcoin with them, as I believe uh, Chavez and Venezuela did. This is a pretty good idea given the size of the national debt. So they can just use these Bitcoin mining rigs. They could also try to mine invalid Bitcoin blocks with them and our Bitcoin nodes, your Bitcoin node and my Bitcoin node will reject in each and every one of them. They could also use them to heat the Mariner S. Eccles building and the William McChesney Martin building. These are the Fed headquarters buildings. They could do that while they're mining Bitcoin. That might be smart given the weather in Washington, D.C. They could also just unplug them and do nothing with them, in which case the hash rate of the Bitcoin network will fall. Blocks will come in more slowly. The difficulty adjustment will kick in after 2016 blocks making Bitcoin easier to mine, then everyone outside the U.S. will keep mining. And this is why it's important to have mining rigs distributed all around the world. Next, we turn to the Fed. The Fed had its meeting this week and the terrible choice that Jerome Powell is left with. Do you want high inflation or do you want bank failures? If monetary policy is too tight, you get bank failures and you actually get the failure of the U.S. government, which can't pay its bills. 
And if inflation is too high, you get all the problems that obviously come with inflation. This was funny, I had missed it at the time, but the Fed removed a line in the speech as part of the announcement speech on Wednesday. And that line was the US banking system is sound and resilient as that morning New York Community Bank Corp stock plummeted 40% and it's been falling ever since then. So the US banking system is still in a very distressed position with the uh, end of the BT, uh, F, I believe it's a BTFP program. This could put even more pressure on the banking system, though we're not seeing as much pressure as you might expect. The KRE, the regional banking ETF, is nowhere near its lows from last, uh, last spring. So this is something definitely to keep an eye on. In terms of the Fed's policy, their next meeting, well, their current, their current uh, target rate for Fed funds is 5.25% to 5.5% and is part of his presser on Wednesday, Jerome Powell said, don't really look for a, an interest rate cut in March. Nevertheless, the market is still pricing a 17.5% chance of a 25 basis point interest rate cut. And this is probably taking into, taking into account that even though Powell said he's not cutting in March, if there is a banking crisis, the probability of the Fed cutting it should not be zero. So it should be somewhere higher than that. The market currently putting that at 17.5%. If we look ahead to the end of 2024 and the last Fed meeting, again, the current rate is 5.25 to 5.5%. And we see this dispersion of possibilities for the end of the year with this real bump uh, between 375 and 425. So the market is pricing the highest probability right here that the Fed cuts uh, 125 basis points, 1.25% this year. And there's basically a 0% chance that they do not cut this year. So we're definitely getting Fed interest rate cuts in this election year, which is interesting. Finally, I wanted to examine, uh, look back on some comments surrounding my video on Monero and Bitcoin, in which I talked about how Monero is really a hot potato money because no one wants to hold it because it's always constantly losing value against Bitcoin. Marcus in this tweet, what does the Monero community think? A lot of respect for Matthew, but disagree, disagree people will immediately swap, swap back into Bitcoin. CEX, uh, CEX, centralized exchange delisting is a good thing. My response, less adoption is a secret indicator of more adoption. And Marcus responded, it's an indicator that Monero is a serious threat to the state. Uh, centralized exchange delistings are the goal, which I think is a huge mistake. You can't have adoption when your coin is getting less exposure. Uh, Marcus calls this pure P2P cash. And my response to this basically was, if you want to subvert the system, you can't do it in a really obvious way by saying, hey, everybody, look, I've got a privacy coin and I'm here to subvert the system. What Bitcoin does is much more subtle. And the comparison I made, of course, is to the various epics surrounding Troy. Uh, Monero runs up naked to the walls of Troy and gets slaughtered. BTC is the Trojan horse that helps to sack Troy. And I think this is true. American HODL had a great piece of technical analysis here, which I'll link to and allow you to watch. Uh, it's done sort of tongue in cheek, but his basic point is, basic point is the first uh, four years of uh, Bitcoin since what, something like 2012, it was trading in the hundreds. And then the next four years, it was trading in the thousands. For the last four years, it's been trading in the 10,000s. And so we would expect it this cycle, this halving cycle to add another zero and start trading in 
the hundreds of thousands. It's a pretty good, pretty funny video, which I'll link to in the description notes below. Also, this uh, tweet from David Bailey that I reposted. If, na if Bitcoin was a nation, its population would be bigger than Germany. Its average age would be, would be about 35 years old, which is obviously good, nice young country. Population growth about 20% a year. GDP growth, 10-year average about 50% no debt, most billionaires per capita, most devs per capita, tech internet native, controls 1% of global energy, and the industrial and the uh, industry is growing at 60% a year. Interesting uh, thought experiment for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners as its own nation state. Meanwhile, whatever happens with the US banking system, whatever happens everywhere, I like this meme, which I reposted. Uh, things are going down in Normie land. Don't worry, son. We have Bitcoin. If you prefer a more peaceful version of it, I like this post from Sailor that Bitcoin is idyllic. You don't have to be out there trading. You don't have to be out there jumping from scammy coin to scammy coin. You can just try to spend less than you make and invest the difference into Bitcoin. Put it in cold storage, put it on a Blockstream Jade or cold card, maybe add a passphrase to it, and you can get on with your life. You don't need to be glued to your screen and you can enjoy everything that the weekend has to offer. I'll put a link in the description notes below if you want to join us at the first live Q&A class at Bitcoin University Premium as well. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to hit the subscribe and like buttons. Hit the notification bell if you want to be notified when I publish my next video. And let me know your questions and comments in the comment section below. Thanks all for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.